morning. I hope you're all well. Let's start with that. Um, our chapel theme today and all this semester, be not afraid. One of the ways we can counter fear is through breathing, through connecting to God through breath. So let's just breathe together. I think we all need some time, some breathe. Um, repeat after me when I say, I inhale peace, I inhale peace, I exhale love. So, I inhale peace, I exhale love. I inhale peace, I exhale love. in that moment. Today we hold the family of Reverend Marty Hanser who entered into internal life. He was a father of two CLU students, Amanda, graduate of 2016, and Megan, who is a current student. His wife Lori and congregation Emmanuel Lutheran Church in North Hollywood. God and community. Please hold them close. Oremos. Amados Dios, nuestros miedos vienen en la incertidumbre. Vienen en sentirse solos, inseguros o desprotegidos. Te agradecemos por estar presente con nosotros hoy, a pesar de nuestros pensamientos y sentimientos. Enséñenos cómo confiar en usted y resolver nuestros temores. Loving God, our fears come from uncertainty. They come from feeling alone, unsafe, or unprotected. We thank you for being present with us today, despite our thoughts and feelings. Teach us how to trust you and disband our fears. Amen. God of compassion, why should we fear? You chose us to be bearers of grace and justice to a broken world. You call us to be words of hope and joy to people deafened by despair. We will seek you. Bearer of justice, why should we fear? You call us to follow you so we may serve all who have been abandoned by a society focused on self. You model kindness so we might bring your message of healing to a fractured culture. Spirit of grace, why should we fear? When we run in circles, you fill us with your peace. When we stumble through each day, you energize us with your hope. When our spirits are empty, you come and dwell in us. We will praise you. Please be seated. Today's reading is from the second book of Kings, chapter 6, verses 8 through 17. Time after time, when the king of Syria was at war against the Israelites, 
he met with his officers and announced, I've decided where we will set up camp. Each time, Elisha would send this warning to the king of Israel. Don't go near there. That's where the Syrian troops have set up camp. So the king would warn the Israelite troops in that place to be on guard. The king of Syria was furious when he found out what was happening. He called in his officers and asked, which one of you has been telling the king of Israel our plan? None of us, your majesty, one of them answered. It's an Israelite named Elisha. He's a prophet, so he can tell his king everything, even what you say in your own room. Find out where he is, the king ordered. I'll send soldiers to bring him here. They learned that Elisha was in the town of Dathan and reported it to the kings. He ordered his best troops to go there with horses and chariots. They marched out during the night and surrounded the town. When Elisha's servant got up the next morning, he saw that Syrian troops had the town surrounded. Sir, what are we going to do, he asked. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. There are more troops on our side than on theirs. Then he prayed, Lord, please help him to see. And the Lord let the servants see that the hill was covered with fiery horses and flaming chariots all around Elisha. Here ends the reading. Thanks be to God. Morning. I think sometimes I fit so perfectly the textbook definition of insanity um, that it's bordering on the absurd. Uh, I think last year I spoke in chapel days after landing in the U.S. from a long international trip, and I believe I said I wouldn't do that again. Here I am. Uh, I, I arrived after a month traveling around Asia, um, and I'm here with you. And I'm really, really happy to be here with you. Um, slightly jet-lagged, kind of scared. This was actually the most difficult theme or, or chapel assignment I feel like I've tackled, and I, it fits because the theme is you're not afraid. And I found myself really scared of, uh, of speaking with you about this topic. Um, I loved listening to chapel and being with you, even though I wasn't with you, and often it was a few days delay. I was telling Rabbi Bell that I enjoyed her, her homily while I was in my hotel in Bangkok and, uh, and listened to Colleen Wyndham Hughes while I was in Hanoi. Um, and it's, it's fun to be with you, even though I'm not with you. And again, there's a little bit of a time lag in addition to the time change. Um, if you didn't guess, I work with uh, international related things at Cal Lutheran. I spend about three to four months out of the year traveling around this incredible planet trying to recruit more wonderful students for our graduate and undergraduate programs. Uh, sometimes do so successfully. We've got some incredible undergrad students this year. We also have some incredible grad students, just maybe a few less than we'd like. Uh, but it's, uh, it's an incre incredible opportunity, and, and I count it as an incredible blessing, even though, again, I feel like I fit the definition of insanity because of how challenging the work is. One of the reasons why it's so challenging is the fear, the anxiety, with which I, I confront not just my work, but also the time away, the time away from you, the time away from my family, uh, but also the way that I've realized that I am like a just hyper-absorbent paper towel when it comes to emotions and the fears of others. I'm, I'm the, the quicker picker-upper sometimes. Um, <laughs> I wish I was maybe more like the brawny man, but I'm, but I'm not. That's okay. Um, 
so when bad things happen around the world, um, I think all of us struggle, and, but when it's personal, when you know people or when you were just there, there's a deeper sense of, of fear. You wonder, is that person that I love in that place one of these people affected? Last year, I was traveling in Latin America when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico and the earthquake hit Mexico City. And I had colleagues that I was traveling with for that trip that had days where they did not know if their families were alive. That's fear. I also confront other types of fear. I was in India a few weeks ago talking to a group of university students. One of those moments where I felt like I was, I was on, I was reading the room, we had a great dialogue, and a, and a large group of students came up to me afterwards to talk and ask me more questions. And there was one young man that was waiting in the wings. I could tell he just looked anxious. And again, I'm absorbent, I could feel that. And he came up to me and he said, I have a question for you, but it's not about, it's not about the US, it's not about your university, can I ask you a question? But he wanted to be out of earshot of the others that were around us. And emotionally, he asked me, how do I ask questions in public? I wanted to ask you questions, but I was so gripped with fear of what my students, my fellow students would think of me that I didn't ask you. How, do you. how do you get up in front of a group and talk to us like this? And the group was maybe 80 or so students, much smarter than I am. And I, and I said, you know what, I have to tell you a secret. I was as scared to talk to you as you are talking to me. And he didn't believe me, and it's, but I was, I was being totally honest. Um, it, it's, a, it's a secret that when I tell people they, they are shocked because I tend to, I think, maybe portray an air of confidence when I'm talking to people. Um, meanwhile, I am, I am petrified that this will be the time that I am discovered, that I have no business doing what I do professionally or even here today with you, um, and have no background to do that. Imposter syndrome, it's a real thing. And, uh, and certainly I think all of us experience that. But that fear was gripping that young man and I loved that moment that I had. And these are the moments that I feel, like this scripture reading, that they that are with us are more than they that are with them. Where individually we can be there for a person and be their strength, their comfort, and to give them strength and to help alleviate their fear in a way that they may not be able to do alone. I picked that verse before any of that happened, or really before I knew what I was going to talk about with you today. But I want to revisit that. So I love this story. But I want to ask you, is, is it true or not? And not in the historical sense, because I don't think that really matters for what we're trying to get out of this story. Uh, so again, an army surrounds this valley where the prophet Elijah is. The servant wakes up, is super scared. Elijah's like, don't worry about it. We got, we got more on our side than they have. The servant doesn't see it, opens his eyes, sees these, you know, what we could assume is an angelic host of, of uh, chariots of fire. Um, so not just rhetorically, I, I actually would like to hear, and I'll repeat it so that we can get this on the recording if you want to share, are you Elijah or are you the servant? Because I know I'm the servant. I know I'm the servant. I don't, I don't see, I, I'm think, the whole time I'm thinking I'm alone, nobody's going to care. Uh, I'm always proven wrong by that, but what, are, are you Elijah or are you the servant? Servant? Okay. Everybody feel like they're Elijah you can see? Sometimes? Okay. Sometimes. But can you see for yourself? I think that's one of the things we struggle with. Often we have so much, so much greater depths of empathy and kindness and love 
for others than we give for ourselves. And I think that's, that's true for most people, that the amount of grace that you're able to find to forgive another's faults, to allay another person's fears. Again, I, I was able to tell this young man, to, you know, give him some advice, but am I going to take that advice myself to allay my own fears? No, um, we don't do that. But Elisha was great at that. He, had, he was a visionary prophet for, in, in many uses of the word visionary and was able to tell his servant that. Um, one of the other, the other opportunities that I have as I travel is to get a sense of what's happening around the world, not just from what's covered in the news, but what, what's the sense on the ground. And I got to tell you, it's really challenging. Um, and, I, and I saw the other rhetorical question I ask is whether this verse or this scripture is true. Uh, we see violence all over. I hear militant, radically, violently militant monks in Myanmar talking about the need to eradicate Muslims because they're an existential threat to the Buddhist identity of Myanmar. Now, that's a tiny fraction of people in that beautiful country. And I hear those words, and I hear it echoed in language here. We just switch out a few words, right? That, that certain groups of people are a threat to our way of life, our culture, uh, our, our, our view of what this nation is about. Um, I go to places like, like Indonesia where people are, where non-Muslims are, are deeply scared of what might happen. Um, or India, where shop owners who are Sikh or, or Muslim or Christian are worried that a rumor will go out in WhatsApp that they're serving beef and they'll end up dead within minutes because of how WhatsApp and other social media is used uh, to, to kind of fulfill this resurgent Hindu nationalism. So I have to ask myself, are they that are with us more than they that are with them? Because sometimes it feels like that's not so true. Another, another example of, of fear, I was doing a session at a conference for international admission counselors and international high school counselors. We were in, in Thailand. And I, I agreed to be on a panel for a session called Triage on the Battlefield of Bias. That was... That was walking into a minefield, I guess, to continue that metaphor. Um, we started out talking about our own areas of blind spots and privilege and how, as a profession, we can move, move beyond a kind of a colonial view of what we do, that in the U.S. somehow we have a better way of doing things that we need to take to the developing world and tell them how to be better. And how do we decolonize our profession? Well, as you could probably expect, there were two people who happened to be of a similar racial or cultural background as me, happened to be men, who immediately became incredibly defensive, angry, and scared that we were going to run them out of the room because we were talking about privilege and bias and discrimination. And it reminded me of what was happening here on the other side of the world the very day that we see men who have enjoyed incredible power for millennia claiming to be victims, claiming to be the most discriminated group on this, on this continent, uh, and finding, trying to find grace for that fear. How do, how do I reconcile the love that I want to have for, these, for, for all people with the reality that what they're scared of is probably not what they should be scared of? So these are the things that I wrestle with and that I really have come to you without a lot of resolution. How do we see as Elijah saw? How do we see that they that are with us are more than they that are with them when the news and other things are so incredibly daunting. The only answer that I really truly have is from another text, which is in John, that perfect love casts out fear. 
And I think that means a lot of things for different people. For me, I feel incredible love when I hear the chapel choir singing. Um, I don't talk to God as much as I used to. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and I'm not going to get into those. I have in other chapels. But to me, music is still that communication with God, a way for me to be reminded that they that are with us, they that are with me, are more than they that are with the opposing side that's trying to beat us down. But what about you? What's, what, what, and again, this is not rhetorical. If you want to share, what are things that you do to help overcome that fear when you're weighed down by something that's happening in your home, in your job, in the world that makes you feel like all is lost, just like the servant? Music and chapel. Thank you. Yep. Taking space to, to recenter with community and with God. Absolutely. Others. And, we, and that shallowness of breath actually physio- physiologically heightens our blood pressure and does other not so great things to us. Great. So remembering to breathe. Anybody else? Walking in nature, okay. Not with your phone, okay. <laughs> not with your phone. No judgment, I haven't seen you do that. I'm, I'm not, yeah, that's more on me. Unless you're playing Pokemon Go and walk with your phone. That's, I, for, I, for a lot of folks, that's a, great, that's a great therapeutic opportunity. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Connecting with others, yeah, making connection. And that's the, the, the final thought I'll, I'll leave you with is when I thought and when I think that they that are with the enemy or those that are trying to beat us down, trying to tell us that there's not hope in this world, that there's not love in this world, there's not opportunity, that there's discrimination and violence, I think about all of you. I think about some of my darkest hours the last 16 years of my life in this community. And I think about the people that have been there, the pastors, the friends, and that's how we know that a community of people who believe very different things can come together, support each other, love unconditionally, with absolute trust and with grace, and that's how we know that those that are with us are more than those that are with them. Amen. Now let us all pray together. Now, go out into the world as God's people. Now, go out as followers of a loving God. Now, go out as those gifted by the Spirit. May God bless you and keep you. May God's warm and loving gaze shine on you with grace and mercy. May God's spirit give you courage in your fear, love to counter hate, and firmness in the face of injustice. Amen. Amen. I invite you to share a sign of God's peace with those all around you.